Only traces of fingerprints have been found of the hand that tugs at the fabric of the cosmos. Join us as we illuminate the search for this elusive character, hiding in plain sight and shaping the world around us. This is Particle Mysteries, where the detectives look to the stars, the suspects are tiny, and the crime scene is the entire universe. science writer working at the German Research Center, DAISY, in Hamburg. And I'm Blair Flynn, a science communicator at the Canadian Research Facility Snow Lab in Sudbury. This is our very first episode of Particle Mysteries, and we are diving right into the coldest case. And the coldest case has to do with dark matter. You might have heard of dark matter before, maybe if you read something about astronomy or You've heard about an experiment searching for it. And here's the thing. We've been searching for this dark matter for a very long time. So what is dark matter? Why is it dark? And if this search has been going on for so long, how do we know it's there? Yeah, it's a very good question. And this case, it starts a long time ago. Yep, and there are a lot of people working on it. Indeed, we have to go back to 1933 with the astronomer Fritz Zwicky, who had the idea of solving a discrepancy. He noticed a discrepancy by comparing the scattering velocities of galaxies within galaxy clusters to the velocity that he theorized considering only the luminous mass he could observe. That's Federica Giacchino a theoretical physicist at the National Laboratory INFN in Italy. Federica is a dark-haired woman with an expressive brow where her excitement about dark matter peeks through as she speaks. So, if we go back to 1933, the Swiss astronomer Fritz Zwicky, working at the California Institute of Technology, was observing a galaxy cluster. At this time, there is a wealth of new and exciting research going on about the universe, since a new theory of gravity was posited by Albert Einstein, and Edwin Hubble and George Lemaitre had discovered the expansion of the universe. So there's a lot of evidence in astronomical observations to support these ideas, and Zwicky was interested in the gravitational clustering of galaxies. He described how Einstein's gravitational theory might appear in observations, including the bending of light around galaxies, but he wanted to explore more gravitational effects on major stellar bodies. He was looking at one in particular, the Coma Cluster. This is a big cluster of galaxies found in between the constellations Leo and Bootes in the northern sky. Zwicky wanted to see if he could apply a simple calculation to this observation of the cluster, a calculation that could relate the motion of a galaxy with the amount that it was being pulled upon. But something was off. Yeah, right. The numbers didn't add up. Not at all. In fact, he reasoned that they were off by a factor of about 400. 
So what Zwicky saw was the invisible mass was not enough to explain the motion. The cluster should be flying apart, but it seemed that something was holding it all together. Something was pulling on the galaxies, but there was nothing to be seen. Zwicky called this invisible thing that was pulling on the galaxies a phrase in German, dunkle materia. Or in English, dark matter. You might think that he named it dark matter simply because we can't see it, but that's not the whole story, right? Yeah, I mean, nothing in particle physics can be that simple. He called it dark because it gave off no radiation that he could tell. It didn't reflect light like a planet. It didn't shine like a star. It had no glow like the hot, dense gases of a nebula. It was just dark, invisible, and having a big impact on the objects in space. Now, it's easy to say that Zwicky might be making a miscalculation or seeing something wrong, or maybe that this whole method has some kind of problem. But Zwicky wasn't the only one to notice. other scientists were making similar and odd observations. The American astronomer Horace Babcock noticed something similar when studying the Andromeda galaxy. That's a galaxy that's closest to our Milky Way. He found that the outer edges of the galaxy was moving far too fast in comparison to its luminosity. That's how much light it gives off. The luminosity is related to the galaxy's mass, just as motion is. But the light that was being produced and the movement of the galaxy, it didn't add up. He calculated a mismatch factor of 50. So lower than Zwicky's 400, but still significant. And the Dutch astronomer Jan Oort even beat Zwicky to the observation. He started noticing this whole anomaly a year earlier than Zwicky. So that's in 1932. But... Everyone agreed on one thing. Whatever this was, it could not be seen. Con il termine materia oscura si racchiude tutto il concetto del mistero che noi fisici stiamo cercando di risolvere. The term dark matter encompasses the whole concept and mystery that we as physicists are trying to solve. We feel the presence of something we call dark matter because of its gravitational effects in the astronomical environment. In 1970, Vera Rubin also saw a discrepancy in the rotational velocity of the spiral galaxies themselves. In short, the velocity of the outermost part of a spiral galaxy turned out to be greater than what was theoretically assumed, always assumed only considering luminous matter. That's Frederica Giacchino again, and she's talking about what happens next in the story of dark matter. So we've got this idea from Zwicky and several others that something's holding astronomical bodies together. Next comes Vera Rubin, an American astronomer studying galaxies. So it's the 60s.
Rubin and her collaborators are examining spiral galaxies, and they're using a new method to monitor the speed of the rotations to make more precise calculations. At this point, there's still the chance that the work done in the 30s was just done with inadequate measurements. A more precise method should help, right? It should. So she looks, and she and her collaborators examine spectrographs or breakdowns of the composition of the light coming from the spiral galaxies. Rubin examined the Andromeda galaxy again, just as Horace Babcock had. And what did she find? Galaxy spinning too fast again. colleagues published their results in the Astrophysical Journal in 1970. Over the next decade, they kept testing and retesting, and the same result came out. But the more precise method did one thing. She could extrapolate how much visible matter there was in comparison to the invisible matter. And for every bit of matter she could see, there was six times as much dark matter that she could calculate. So that's for every speck of interstellar dust, that's the equivalent of six specks of dark matter. Or to show the scale, for every star in the galaxy, the mass equivalent of six stars holding the galaxy together. I'm with Axel Linder. It is the 9th of October. What what made you personally interested in dark matter? Yeah, this is uh, it's it's moving me. It's I'm interested in this since I read about this at the age of fifteen, something like this. So that there's some unknown things in the universe. At those times, of course, it was just one of several explanations. We didn't have any cosmological model. There was always these discrepancies between the age of the universe and the age of the old stars. Um, but it was really one aspect which made me studying physics. What was it that you, exactly, that you read when you were 15 there that, uh, that so engaged you? This uh, were the riddles at those times which were not really explainable about the movement of galaxies and galaxy clusters, the thing which uh, Zwicky found in the last century, uh, in the 30s, if I remember correctly, and the rotation curves of galaxies, like measured by Vera Rubin in the 70s. These were the most striking phenomena of those times. Of course, there was not the things we know now, like the structure of the quasi microwave background radiation, bionic acoustic oscillation, all the things which now support the dark matter paradigm, it was just very head-scratching things which no one could explain. That's Axel Linder. He's speaking from his office at uh, the Deutsches Elektron und Synchrotron Daisy in Hamburg, Germany. And uh, it's a very neat and organized office. He's 
very, very much got the look of a, of a runner, somebody who's really going for a long stretch here. And that fits because he's leading one of the world's major dark matter experiments. We're going to hear more from him later. We've been lucky enough to have excellent observatories built across the world and in space since the days of Vera Rubin's findings. We can measure not only visible light and its spectra like Rubin did, but also high-energy gamma radiation, X-rays, radio waves from near the beginning of the universe, neutrinos. We have all kinds of stuff. So now we have these maps of the matter that we can see in the universe, and we can create them using a variety of information sources. And what we see, we see a lot of similarities in the way they look. The maps have a lot of weird gaps in them, and these gaps, they actually line up with the pulling that Zwicky and Rubin had observed on galaxies. What, to you, what is dark matter? Dark matter, to me, is the substance which causes the structures of the universe. In terms of the structure of the universe, dark matter seems to be doing a lot more than pulling on galaxies. It appears to be forming the scaffold structure that's supporting all of the matter that we're familiar with. So, I think without exaggerating, this is the stuff why we are here. And we can discuss without dark matter, we would not be around. There would be no structures. And so it's the core of our existence. And this is, for me, what is the special thing on dark matter. And that's why I'm eager to find it. Core of our existence. We now have a huge amount of evidence to show that something significant is out there. We can't see it, we can't detect it, but we can see its effects. And for the last few decades, it's been a clarion call for physicists from all over the world to find dark matter and try to close this cold case in physics and astronomy. Flip Tenedo is one of those people. He's a theoretical physicist who's an assistant professor at the University of California, Riverside, and he has made it his mission to figure out what dark matter is. Here's Flip in an interview with our colleague, Mike Ray. My name is, is Flip Tenedo. I'm a theoretical particle physicist at UC Riverside, and I study dark matter. Um, it's audio, right? So I can, I can futz with my hands. <laughs> Uh, we're starting to define, and we're, and with, with each experiment, we kind of know like like what dark matter could be, but we mm -hmm. also know what dark matter isn't. And and I kind of think of like if it, it, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong on, on if you'll let me just uh, go through this a bit. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
if dark matter were a lost child in a cornfield, like somewhere, you know, I'm in South Dakota, there's cornfields here. If dark matter were a lost child in a cornfield, and you know, the whole community is out looking for this lost child walking through the cornfield, we would need to know where where the kid wasn't. So if, if, if a bunch of people come back from the field and say, hey, we know the kid is absolutely not in this place, that's mm -hmm. important information for everybody to know so we're not wasting resources and searching twice. That is absolutely the case. Is that yeah. part of how this works? The experiments sort of hone in on where the this 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 thing could be. Yeah, yeah. And and so of course this that that's a great analogy, right? Uh and of course. It's not a physical space. So, so physically, we know where dark matter is. There's a whole clump of it in the middle of our galaxy. Every galaxy is living in a bubble of dark matter. But it's a theoretical space. It's um, what type of particle is it? What are the characteristics of that particle? Uh, how heavy is it? How does it interact or not interact? All that, That's the space of, of uh, different types of theories that we're exploring. Every galaxy is living in a bubble of dark matter. Now, of course, we've been talking about faraway galaxies like the Coma Galaxy Cluster that Fritz Swicky was studying, or even something closer to home like Andromeda, the subject of Horace Babcock and Vera Rubin. But if it holds for those galaxies, why shouldn't it hold for our home galaxy, the Milky Way? Look up at the night sky next time you have a chance. If it's dark enough, you're going to see a bright band above you, and that is the edge of our galaxy that you're looking at. So just imagine pressing from either side, on all sides really, that bubble of dark matter that Tenedo was talking about. Look to your left, look to your right, look up, look down. Chances are it's all around us. We just can't see it. We can't see six times more matter than what we know is around us. And that's all around us. It all started from just watching the spin of a galaxy. For Flip Tornado, there's a lesson about what we know about the universe and science itself to be learned here. A few weeks ago, I was talking to some friends and, and they were talking about astrology. Not, not astronomy, but horoscopes. And uh, one of these friends was a historian of science. And, you know, the, the astrology was just going over my head, you know, Gemini, Aries, all these things. And the historian mentioned that astrology is really interesting culturally because it's one thing that survived from the pre-Newtonian era. Meaning to say, before Newton, we had this idea that the, th the forces that shape our lives are very personal. It, it depends on when you were born, what place you were born, and, and medicine would be dependent on, on those circumstances. And Newtonian physics, one of the, the really deep things that we never teach our students when we're teaching them Newtonian physics, is this idea of universal law. Newton's three laws hold 
whether or not you're in Australia or in California or in South Dakota. And, and this is a really powerful, deep idea, not just scientifically, but philosophically. Um, so thinking about these kind of scientific transitions, um, it got me thinking about Copernicus, right? Copernicus's big thing was, again, about this universality. And we're not as special as we think we are. So Copernicus, his big thing was that the, the Earth is not at the center of the solar system. Okay, the sun's at the center of the solar system. And since then, we have learned that the solar system is part of a galaxy, and we're not in any particularly special part of the galaxy either, right? We look like many other solar systems in the galaxy. And now we even know that when we look really deep into the sky, there are a whole bunch of other galaxies, and the Milky Way galaxy is also not particularly special in any, any way. And you can go, like, there are clusters of galaxies that all look more or less the same. and where there's less and less that we're special about. And this revolution from the 1930s to now of recognizing that dark matter is a thing and dark matter, it, it's not ordinary protons, neutrons, and electrons. It's something completely different. It's like another Copernican revolution of not only are we not particularly special, but the very things that we are made of the very thing that we have made a whole big deal about the chemistry of our of our entire universe as we understood it pre-1900s is not even the most predominant stuff of the universe. And I think that's that's the kind of cosmic context that I keep thinking about, like the revolutions upon revolutions. mysteries the coldest case and it seems really unusual why why would one group of people do the mathy theoretical stuff and a different group of people actually build machines and, and analyze data we know it's out there now how do we find dark matter we begin the journey to figuring out what it looks like we'll be talking about wisps and wimps and not just anywhere dust off your hard hat. We need to go underground for this. Particle Mysteries, The Coldest Case is a production of the Interactions Collaboration, written and hosted by Joseph Piergrossi and Blair Flynn, produced and edited by Andrea Munday, with original music by Sebastian Shishka, and research assistance by Steve Sekula. Additional voicing by Aaliyah Kovner. For more information and full credits, please visit darkmatterday.org.